it's certainly good to be here this morning with all of you. And as was mentioned, we have visitors and we're so thankful for your presence here this morning. And I pray that something that can be said this morning that is beneficial and edifying to the body of Christ and may help us out in our daily lives. This lesson I put together for me. This is something that I needed that over the past few weeks noticed that there's things in my life and maybe in your life that tends to consume us sometimes and overtake our thoughts and our emotions or whatever it may be. And I'd never heard of a, a, a sermon on sports in and of itself. So I started looking. I started looking for a, an outline and I found one that would that really, really helped me. We're going to be studying in 1 Corinthians 10. And in 1 Corinthians 10, so before 1 Corinthians 10, of course, we have uh, chapters 8 and 9. 8 and 9, and in 10 specifically, it revolves around the theme of idolatry. And, and how the Corinthian church was to follow Christ in a culture that was full of idols at that time. And that tendency for us, if we're not careful, that tendency that, that we can feel, you know, maybe we, we have that tendency today that, to have idols around us that we don't even know about. You know, the meat that we buy at the grocery store is not likely to have been offered to, uh, as worship up to some wooden statues like it was back in the first century in Corinth. So what does that, what does that mean for us? Does that have an application for us today as far as idols? There may not be, of course, wooden statues that we see or, or come across uh, or golden figures around us. But our, you know, our culture is filled with idols and it uses kind of the language we see in Ezekiel 14. Our hearts are drawn to idols. Every one of us. The more thought about the application of this text, the idols of stay, the more I realized you know, that I'd never heard a sermon on sports. A sermon that equips us as Christians with what God says about these types of things. It's a huge part of our culture and our lives. So I want us to see, does, the, does having being a Christian have any unique effect on the way that we approach sports today? And how that transforms, of course, the way we view it as well. Now, before we really get diving into the sports, um, I want to quickly kind of summarize what is in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. A quick summary. There's a clear command that lies at the heart of these three chapters, and it's summed up in, uh, chapters 10, in chapter 10, verse 14. Paul said there, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So we see these three words, flee from idolatry. And that is the central command of these three chapters. Flee idolatry. Run from it. Just as you run away, as we've been seeing before in, in some of the studies, you run away from sexual temptation. You run. You flee at any hint of idolatry from it. You don't flirt with it. You don't play from it. And then, of course, then we see in verse 14 uh, that flee from idolatry. And Paul gives two primary reasons why we must flee from idolatry. Number one is because it, idolatry is inconsistent with the teachings of the Bible. Paul starts talking about the Lord's Supper 
which is a, a poignant illustration because he was addressing the matter of foods that had been sacrificed to idols. And what Paul said is that it makes no sense for us to participate in this item of worship that we'll partake in here in a little bit. Uh, that symbolizes Christ's body and the blood of the new covenant and then go into the world and in our lives, in our everyday life, identify with something differently throughout the rest of the week. It's inconsistent with what the Bible teaches. We've been saved to worship God, not to worship idols. And then the Christian, Corinthians were doing what? Well, they, they, were, they were doing what sometimes we tend to do in this room. If we look at this as just a ritual that we go through once a week, and then the rest of the week we go throughout it just forgetting what we've done Sunday morning and throughout the rest of the week, and, and that is very, very dangerous. And Paul says we cannot have that kind of idolatry. It's completely inconsistent with the gospel and is actually an offense to God. The severity of this text comes to a head in verse 21 and 22 where we see that worship of various idols is actually a worship of demons. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake at the table of the Lord and the table of demons. In other words, you can't turn aside from the worship of God and worship demons and the worship of demons. And then verse 22, it says, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? We need to understand that idolatry is extremely serious. Even though it's rare to talk about sports, I want to make it clear that God will have no competition in this world. None. He alone is holy. He alone is worthy. He alone is glorious. And he alone is a God. And, and he, everything is for him that we do. And he is worthy of that praise. So flee and run from idolatry. Run from it. Now this command of what not to do, of course, that we see to flee from idolatry. So don't worship idols. It is then followed by the text in verse 23 through 30 on what to do. Expectation of what to do. Paul summarizes all these things that he already said in chapters 8, 9, and 10. And then he comes to a conclusion in verse 31 of chapter 10 where it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That is an all-encompassing, consuming expectation that whatever you do, whatever, whatever covers everything, whatever we do, do it for the glory of God. Flee from idolatry in all of its forms and then glorify God in every facet of our lives. Not to bring, we don't do it, of course, to bring demons glory, not to draw attention to anything like like it is a God, but instead to live and eat, drink, breathe, sleep, work, play, whatever we do, do it all to draw attention to God, to give glory to God. And then uh, to connect this with everything else uh, Paul's talked about here, he helps the Corinthian Christians see how they can glorify God. So how do we glorify God? And Paul says to them, we will glorify God when we live for the good of others. The whole point of the discussion about food sacrifices in the previous chapters to idols that leads up to this chapter, to chapter 9, was to say, you do what is best to do what is beneficial for the building up of others. Whatever you do, make sure you're building up somebody else around you. 
Right after in verse 32, he says, Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or, to, or the church of God, just as I tried to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, but that of many that they may be saved. Paul said, I'm laying down my life for the good of others, specifically those in the church. In the very next verse, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. That's Paul's desire. That's his desire. To show others how to follow Christ. He wants us to serve those in the church, but obviously not just those in the church. Paul wants us to live um, with the good of those that are around us, you know, that we come in contact with. You know, we're living for everybody, not for ourselves. That was the whole point at the end of chapter 9. I become all things to all people that by all means that might be saved, they may be saved. And then he says in verse 33 here, the purpose for which you were, on the, were basically born, for what we're doing, to enjoy God, to glorify God, and spread the gospel wherever we are and whatever we do. And the beauty is to follow this living like, like this is laying down our lives for the glory of God. By serving one another in the church, by leading others to Christ, we glorify God in those actions that we do. Paul's whole point is to show the Corinthians that this is where true life is found. Joy is found, meaning, and meaning is found, and satisfaction is found, and focusing every single detail on our lives and living to the glory of God by laying down our lives to serve others in Christ and to lead others to Christ. So the, the, the point of 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10 is to flee every single point, every single hint of idolatry that may be in our lives. So, and everything you do, including, including how you eat, drink, do it all for the glory of God. So, how do we watch and play sports to the glory of God. How do we do that? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, whether we eat or drink or play sports or watch sports, how do we do that for the glory of God? Specifically in our culture that idolizes sports in a all-consuming way. How do we do that? Listen to this illustration I came across. Some of you may understand where this is coming from. Some may, you may not. But this is an illustration set in Birmingham, Alabama. Imagine for a moment that you live in another country, one completely foreign to this one, and you have an opportunity one fall to spend a week in Birmingham to come on a Sunday morning. And you observe many people, maybe even most slowly rising to make their way to a building they call a church. They groggily approach that building for some sort of ceremony. Clearly, whatever happens after, at the beginning of that ceremony is not particularly important because most of the people don't come in till after it started. And so you watch them fall in and begin to mouth the words to a song. Many of them all, almost expressionless virtually emotionless, after which they sit down and passively listen to someone talk to them for a time of period, a period of time. You notice people start to get a bit fidgety, uneasy at that time, for the ceremony to end approaches, and it's finally over. They quickly walk out. But as you walk with them, you listen to them, and you hear many of them talking about 
something else. They're talking to each other about something that happened maybe the previous day. They smile and they laugh as they recount another ceremony that they've been to apparently a bit more interesting than this one. A ceremony that happens apparently on Saturdays. In fact, the rest of the week, they almost all hear people talking about this ceremony that may be coming the following Saturday. Even the people who were at the Sunday ceremony are strangely silent about what they heard and sing about. They're very enthusiastic about the Saturday and they can't seem to get here soon enough for that weekend. So as you curiously, your curiosity is piqued, you begin to eagerly anticipate the coming Saturday ceremony with them that, that then that Saturday comes. Usually people wake up and leave their houses dressed in some sort of outfit that they love to wear for these type of days. Many of them drive out of the city, some an hour west, others a couple hours south where they gather together what they called hallowed grounds for the Saturday ceremony. They get there early for this ceremony, way early, where they eat, drink, and laugh and play, not just with their family or friends, but with complete strangers. You've never seen a community like this. And when, it comes, when the time comes, they all, tens of thousands of them, enter a shrine together. You can't think of another word for it. Where they raise their voices with passion to applaud some sort of assembly of children they don't know, they play a game on a field. As that begins, they shout and chant and sing until they virtually lose their voices with far more passion than the previous Sunday's ceremony for sure. People don't look at their watches at this ceremony. They're so engulfed with that, what they've seen because, and experienced, and they actually get excited when it, come, when it goes in what they call overtime. Because going long in this time is a really exciting game. That's what it means. And the fun doesn't end after the ceremony is over anyway. When the boys and everybody has cheering for, the, uh, for when the game and the celebration, when that is done, the boys come out. The celebration has only begun. And the amazing thing is that it's not just the people who are at the ceremony who are celebrating. We come to find out that back at, in Birmingham at home, hundreds of or tens of thousands and thousands of others who couldn't get there stayed at home and watched this game on what they call a TV, though many of them are large enough to be virtual movie screens. They're actually designed that way to make the most of watching ceremonies like this. And back in Birmingham, scores of people have circled up together around their screens to be part of the ceremony from a distance. They too in their homes are jumping up and down and high-fiving each other, celebrating the ceremony when it's over and when it's all over late in the evening, almost if there's nothing to prepare, be prepared for the next day. They go to bed. So, let's ask the question. If we were that visitor from another country and you came into the city on this week during the fall... Which would you identify as the religion that is most important to those people? As the religion that most excites this people, as the religion that most consumes this people. Listen, we live in a land where sports war for our attention and our affections and our devotion and our time and our money. And it's not just college football that we just went over. That's a glaring example. There are upcoming games today and following weeks in the NFL that many feel are extremely important. 
all the professional sports as well, and children's sports, playing sports, watching sports, and running, running our kids all over the city and to the state and for the sake of sports. Whether it's football or golf, basketball, baseball, soccer, CrossFit running, biking, swimming, gymnastics, cheerleading, or any number of athletic activities to which we devote so much time and our lives to and our families' lives to, if we're not careful, we will be too far removed from the church. We will not be too far removed from the church in Corinth. So we need to be careful. We land, we're in a land that's covered with church buildings and, and filled with professing Christians, and, and we are tempted every single week. You know, we come here, we commune on Sundays, only to dine with idols every other day of the week. And we must consider how to flee idolatry and to live every single moment here in Bakersfield to the glory of God, whatever we are doing. So what I want to do is I want to look at some biblical foundations that affect the way we view and understand God and the sports and idols in our lives. And then from there, I want to challenge us to do some personal examination in our own life. I want, to, I want, us to, I want to put some questions before ourselves in some areas that we uh, can examine um, that we are all, to see if we're giving these emotions and all this attention to to sports or something else that should really only be reserved for God. I want to look at some biblical foundations. And then I want to go through some practical application just based on Scripture to help us think or go through, okay, whether we eat or drink or play or whatever we do, how do I play sports? If I don't play sports, I watch sports. Is there a way that I can do this for the glory of God? So the first biblical foundation, sports are a good gift from a gracious God given to us for the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians 8 to 10, especially in chapter 10, Paul's talking about how food is a gift from a gracious God. Food is that gift from him given to us for the glory of God. And he talks about how everything God gives us is good and intended for God's glory. In fact, we see in verse 26, he quotes from Psalms 24. He says, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. And that's a prayer that would often have been prayed in Judaism before a meal to acknowledge all, his, all the good gifts that, we, that they had. So food is a good gift from a gracious God given to us for his glory. So food is not bad in of itself. Of course, we know that. But the point was it could be used for the glory of God or it could be used in the worship of idols. So similarly, sports are not bad in and of themselves. On the, you know, we, we could argue on the contrary. You know, sports, rest, recreation have been created by God for our good, for our enjoyment, and for God's glory and our enjoyment of them. God is God over everything. And that includes some things that we may not think are so insignificant. You know, everything that's good is good because God made it good. We need to understand that. And everything and every good thing is evidence of his grace towards us because we deserve nothing good from his hand because we are sinful people. Yet God is gracious enough to give us those things. And it's given to us for the glory of his name. Sports is a good gift from a gracious God given to us for the glory of God. But as soon as we introduce our humanity, our, our sinful ways, if you want to say, 
things get very complicated because the human heart tends to have to take these good things and begin to worship and serve them instead of the Creator who gave them to us in the first place. In Romans 1, we see that God gave them over to sin, where they exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. And this is huge. When we think of sin, we usually think of, you know, we think of doing bad things like lying or stealing, cheating, whatever it may be. And that is sin. Absolutely, those are sin. But according to Romans chapter 1, there's something a little deeper here. Sin is not just doing bad things. According to Romans 1, sin includes taking that which is good and turning it into a, an idol of worship. When you read Romans 1, you realize that this is a fundamental problem. We turn good things into gods that we worship and serve instead of the God who gave us the good things in the first place. And when you begin to realize the number of good things that become, can become a God, an idol in the human heart, we take things like love or material possessions or a career, or work. All these things are good things. But when our heart begins to be consumed by them, we begin to center around them thinking that this is where our joy or our fulfillment is. This is what we are, our identity is in our work our identity is in our team. Our identity is in whatever it may be. That's where the problem lies. And we start to slowly pursue these things instead of pursuing God. And this is where we realize, you know, when we think about idols, even idols in our culture today, our mind immediately starts to begin thinking of bad things or bad idols. When in reality, that really is not really the case if we think about it. Secondly, good things can become idols. The reason things become idols in our lives and in our culture is because really they're really good things. Are they not? You know, the reason, in fact, the more good they are, the greater they are, the more likely we're to look at them instead of looking at God. It's important for us to realize this. Think about beauty. Is beauty a bad thing? No, beauty is a good thing but we turn it into a God. We become a, become a culture that agonizes over what we look like, what we spend, spending all kinds of money, all kinds of time working out and eating right and wearing certain clothes, even convincing ourselves that we look a certain way that we'll become happy. None of these things are bad in of themselves. Understand that. Working out, eating right, wearing clothes, beauty itself, those are all good things, but we tend to take the good things and turn them into the ultimate things that captivate us and consume us almost unknowingly, and then they'll control us. And, and when we, we absolutely do sin, when we take sports, which is a good thing, and we turn it into a God and an ultimate thing that captivates and consumes and, sub, and unknowingly begins to control us. The real danger is here that good gifts make lousy gods. That's the next point. Good gifts make lousy gods. Created things were never intended to provide the meaning or identity or ultimate satisfaction of unending joy that we can only find in God. That was never the intent of created things. Listen, idols always disappoint. 
Idols always disappoint. Any honest person who has put energy or time or money and affection or devotion towards sports know that the sports, as an idol, will let you down. Listen to this testimony from a man who has tasted everything that sports has had to offer. Tom Brady, winner of seven Super Bowl rings, making multi-million dollars, married to a supermodel, lives in a mansion. I mean, you name it, this guy has achieved it in the NFL. Listen to what he said. Having an MVP, MVP uh, season, undefeated in this season, going into the Super Bowl. He sat down and he had a, an interview with 60 Minutes during this season. This is what he said. And I quote, you can look this up. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings? This was at the time he only had three. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? The interviewer asked him, well, what's the answer then? What do you think that is? And he said, I wish I only knew. All the things that this guy has achieved, all, the, all the, the championships, all the rings, everything. If he created that as an idol, it was not satisfactory to him. If Tom Brady only knew how close he was to understanding what God can provide for him. Could you imagine that? Idols always inevitably disappoint far more, serious, far more seriously they ultimately destroy Satisfaction is to be found in God Himself, the giver of all the good gifts. The Bible says examine yourself. Test yourself. Examine our lives to see if there's any hint of idolatry in, in, uh, when it comes to sports or anything that may be becoming an idol. First of all, examine our heart. I'm sure there's a lot of people in here today who said, you know, I don't, I, this is not a problem in my life. You know, I don't worship sports, but, you know, let's, let's look at our lives and let's ask ourselves the question. Is there anything else in my heart that I'm living for, consumed with, focused on, in a way that should only be reserved for God? Anything. Is there any hint of idolatry in my heart and life and, 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 and I'm tempted to go towards or have it consume me? Some of you in here could could care less about sports. You don't like sports. You don't watching or playing or whatever. You want nothing to do with sports. But let me, not to, let me encourage you to not sit back, maybe a little prideful, over your lack of worship of sports. However, is there anything in your lives that has a hold of your heart, your mind, like we're talking about here with sports? So let's examine our heart. Remember, this is the first and fun, fundamental commandment that we've seen from Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and on your, all your mind. To examine your heart, and is it set on sports in a way that may be unhealthy? Maybe another way to ask this question, or a better way to think through this, is a personal examination. If, if somebody was to look at your life in a way, how would they, how would they perceive you? What would they think that is most important to you? What would they know as your priorities? If someone else was to look at your life, would they observe 
a person's heart and know that you're devoted to the Lord? Or is your first priority who wins a game this afternoon? Would they see some division somewhere? What occupies your mind when you have nothing else to think about? That's another question we need to ask ourselves. What occupies your mind when you have nothing else to think, think about? Are sports or related things where your mind goes when you don't have anything else to think about? Now we know, of course, it's not obviously wrong to think about sports at all. That's not the point. But is our mind preoccupied? Whether it's a team or an activity or a sport that we're involved with in or something you do for your children or taking them places, does your mind default to sports in any way? Also, examine our conversations. What's on, what, what, what's on your mind comes out of your mouth. What we think about comes out of our mouth. That's what we're talking about. What are, our, what are our passionate conversations about? Is this or that sport or this or that activity, this team, whatever you talk about, you know, is there anything else that comes out of your mind or out of your mouth? What are your conversations about? Of course, remember again, the key here is that it's not wrong to talk about sports. It's not wrong to talk about a good thing. It's wrong to talk about a good thing like it's a God in our life. So this is where we need to do the hard work of examination, as do I. Do I spend an inordinate amount of time talking about sports, whether it's NFL, baseball, working out, our favorite team, whatever it is. Do I spend an inordinate amount of time talking about sports in some way? And then, in what way do I, do I talk about the sports? You know, we say things like, I love this team. I love OU. I love uh, Alabama or I love Auburn. I love the Dodgers. I love the sport. I love college sports. I love college basketball. We say things like, I sure do hope this about this team or I belong to this team. Shouldn't we sing that, those things about God? I belong to God. I love God. I worship God and God alone. Or are we taking those Emotions that we should only be reserved that should only be reserved for God and putting them towards something else. That's where we need to be careful. You know, with the 49ers, you know, most of you know I'm a 49ers fan. You know, I find myself saying, like, yeah, we won. We're going to the Super Bowl. As if I had anything to do with their season this year. You know, it's you know, we need to be careful. Not that it's wrong in saying that kind of things, but we just need to make sure that we're on the right path towards the right goal of worshiping God. Examine our conversations. Also, examine your emotions. Does sports ignite your affection in an unhealthy way that causes your emotions to swing in such a way that, you, that you're sad or grumpy or depressed, even angry when, you're, when the team loses or your team doesn't do well at all? Or maybe, on the other side, maybe you're feeling really good because they're doing really well. Does your emotions swing because of the team that you follow? Are you inordinately happy and fun to be around just because you won or just because your team won? Will your emotions, your happiness, your sadness depend on the outcome of a game? It may be that your heart is at least in some way consumed or controlled by sports if that is the case. Examine your use of money. Jesus said, what your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. The principle here is as clear as can be. Your heart follows your money. Your money is a sure indicator where your heart is. So how much money do you spend on playing sports or watching sports or supporting teams, buying sports equipment or paraphernalia? I found out that the combined revenue of the SEC and the Big Ten is over $2 billion a year. That's two uh, uh, sports athletic conferences in college on the southeast and the northeast of, the, of America. $2 billion. And that is more than the gross domestic product of 24 of the world's poorest countries spent on college athletics in a land, in, in an area of the country that is covered with churches. And just imagine what that number would be if you would include what we spend on professional sports as well as sports for our own kids, money for leagues or equipment, private lessons and sports in our own lives from golf to gym membership. Again, it's not bad in and of itself. These things are not bad. It's not bad to spend money on sports. What we need to examine is how much we're spending on sports and what that says about where our heart is. Examine your use of time. An average week, how much time do we invest in sports? Playing real sports, playing fantasy sports, watching others play sports, involving our kids in sports, watching ESPN, on and on and on and on and on. How much time are we spending for that? And then think about the time in relation to the amount of time we spend in reading Scripture. That one got me. That's where I need to improve on. Getting into the Scripture more and more than what we spend on sports. Praying, teaching our children, God, teaching them God's Word, sharing the Gospel, serving them in the community. These are questions that I think that we need to ask. And then the last uh, challenge we have here is to examine our your perspective. Where you put your time, where you put your money, when we think about it, what, we, what you've talked about, what you focused on on sports, small ways, big ways, and we begin to forget, if we're not careful, that the grand and global purpose of God. What is His purpose? And redemption. Listen, it matter, matters little. Who wins what game on a Saturday or a Sunday in any way. It is insignificant if we are not following God's will that he has given for us in the scriptures. Don't let artificial battles on ball fields blind us from real spiritual battles waging in the world. What matters more? What matters more here? Praying and pleading for those here in Bakersfield, the USA or beyond, to hear the gospel of Christ and realize that they need a savior or whether or not the San Francisco 49ers win the NFC championship today and go on to the Super Bowl. What matters more? We need God to help us realize what matters more and what ultimately really doesn't matter at all. So we need to examine our perspective. Examine your hearts, your thoughts, your conversations, your emotions, your use of money, your use of time, your perspective on sports. Honestly ask the question, is my attention to sports, my affection in sports, my investment in sports, glorifying God? Is it glorifying God? And if it's not glorifying God, then the immediate follow-up question is, if we're not glorifying God, then who are we glorifying? So, is it possible to glorify God in sports? 
we've already established that sports is not a bad thing. And so, yes, I think there is a way to glorify God in sports. So how do we glorify God with this good gift that he's given us? And there's a few different ways there that we can treat sports as a good gift that glorifies God. Some of them are simple. Uh, some maybe you just haven't even thought about. And the first one is first we well, you should use sports to draw attention to God. So if you, instead of using sports to draw attention to the team or draw, draw uh, attention to us personally, if we're playing sports, use it to draw attention to God. Whether you or I step out onto a field or to a, a court or a course or whatever it might be in our uh, driving our motivation is how can I best exalt not myself, not how do I get that lowest score on the course today, how do I glorify God in what I'm doing? And all of a sudden, every play carried out, every swing we make, every shot taken, every word spoken, every interaction with your teammates or someone you're playing against or whatever it may be, it kind of puts it into perspective of what we're trying to do there. Use the opportunity to draw attention to God. Now, I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for saying this in here because I know there's a lot of sports fans in here. But the goal of playing sports is not to win. Okay, that's hard. <laughs> We've got coaches in here. We have former players. The goal of sports is not win, not to win. Some of you may have had the responsibility or, or the privilege to coach youth, coach youth sports. I've coached uh, our kids' sports a few times, but there's a, we need to understand that there is a greater task at hand when we're coaching those kids. The responsibility to coach and teach these kids to learn the game, to learn how to trust their teammates, learn how to sit on a bench and be the best supporter of the team. We have to teach them what character looks like. We have to teach them how to win gracefully and to lose with your head high and to not be sour about it. You have the responsibility to show these teams discipline. There was one of Kylie's... Uh, softball teams when she was a kid, just a local rec team. Even Taylor was helping me coach that year. We had a girl on our team who was our pitcher. Her nickname was Skittles. I don't know how she got that name. But she was our, a good pitcher for her age. And she was actually the only pitcher we had on the team. The only one. In the last game of the season, before we went into playoffs, everybody got into playoffs. But it was a one and done. But Last game of the, of the season, she was pitching, and she had a bad game. And she had a bad game to the point to where it affected her emotionally in the circle where she was throwing pitches, yelling, screaming. I mean, to a point where we had to pull her out of the game because she was so far out of control. One of the hardest things I had to do, knowing that she was our only pitcher, after long conversations and good advice from my wife, we had to sit her the next game. She was not our starter. That discipline, you have to teach those kids the difference between right and wrong. I don't remember if we won the next game or not. It didn't matter. The winning and losing did not matter. What mattered was you're trying to take an opportunity and teach a kid that maybe they're not learning something at home and you've got to glorify God in that instance. 
Is it to the glory of God? Remember, in all that we do, glorify God. All. Famous quote from Eric Lydell. Some may know this guy. Showing a story of how he, he was a future missionary and a gold medalist runner in the Olympic Games. He said, God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. In other words, I run fast to the glory of God. That is the purpose of sports, but it's a purpose that can be quickly lost if we're not careful. So how do we keep that purpose central? One way that I found is we need to keep sports in its proper place. We need to keep sports in their proper place, far behind our family and church and a myriad of other things. We need to keep sports in its place. So where does sports fall upon our priority list? Men, ask your wives. Do sports in any way show a hindrance to my love towards you? And you just sit back and wait for the answer. <laughs> then ask, are sports in any way a hindrance to your relationship with your children and your responsibility to your children? There's more than, it's more important than who wins the game. It's knowing what's going on in your child's heart and shepherding and caring and teaching your child. If that means that you don't know the stats the next day at work to talk about with your coworkers, then so be it. So what if you don't know who won the game? So what if you don't know how many yards and touchdowns Christian McCaffrey had the other day? Who cares? You're busy tending to your family being where you ought to be, understanding your child's heart, understanding your spouse's heart, and, and tending to the things that are important to our lives. Back to Eric Lydell, the guy who withdrew from the race. This guy withdrew from a race that he was best at in the Olympics because his race was on a Sunday. In the Olympics, every four years you only get this shot. And he decided to not run that race that day because it ended up being on a Sunday. He refused to run in the Olympics. He made it clear that running in the Olympics was not as important as worshiping on the Lord's Day. So is there anything good in sports? Of course, there's a lot of good things. And it also comes from God. Also, express gratitude for God. So before we begin to play any sport, whether you watch a sport, before you begin to do anything sports related, pause, take a moment, and maybe pray. Give thanksgiving. Let God know that. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to play sports. Thank you for giving me the gifts you've given me to play these sports. Whatever it may be. When we give a gift to someone, you know, wherever we give a gift to maybe our child or to someone close to us, you know, we, we enjoy seeing them enjoying that gift. Right? I think God enjoys us enjoying the gift that He's given us, but we need to be careful not to enjoy the gift more than the giver. We need to give praise to God every time that we have that opportunity. Honor your teammates. Team sports is not intended to be monuments to individual achievement. So we look for ways to build up and affirm and encourage and honor the people around us. This honors God and it honors our teammates at the same time. Some of you may know the story of this lady here, this girl here, Sarah Tolchotsky. I think I say your name right. 
softball player for Western Oregon back in 2008. Some of you may know this story, some of you may not. This was um, a softball player from Western Oregon who had never hit a home run before. With two runners on, a strike against her, she creamed one over the fence. Knocked it over the fence during a 2008 playoff game. And when she began to run the bases, she realized that she had missed tagging first base. So as she got to second, she realized that she needed to turn around and go tag first base. So this homer would count. Well, as she turned, she blew her knee out. She couldn't walk. She couldn't put any weight on it. So her teammates and the coach understood that if you know, one of her teammates helped her around the bases, that uh, the home run wouldn't count. Or if they put a pinch runner in, it would only count as a single. So the opposing first baseman went to the umpire and said, is there anything that will keep us from helping her around these bases? Umpire said, there's no rule against it. So the opposing team picks up this gal who can't walk and helps her around every single base, touching the base with her good foot, and the home run counted. There's so much more things bigger than winning a game. Honoring your teammates, even the opposing team, how do you honor them? And when, and when she was uh, interviewed about this later on, this is what the opposing team uh, a player said on that first baseman that helped her. He said, it's not about winning, or losing so much as it was about this girl. She hit it over the fence and she was in bad pain and she deserved that home run. Amazing uh, display of honoring teammates. Honor that glorifies God. Look for the opportunity to, to, to demonstrate honor and develop self-discipline. It's a good thing for sports to teach us how to work hard and to practice and achieve a goal uh, which we turn, it sets up, you know, all kinds of parallels between the, uh, sports and the Christian life that we live. Develop self-discipline, maintain self-control when your emotions get out of hand in a game or as a player, as a coach, as a parent, or a spectator. And those emotions lead to yelling this or that or arguing. Is that bringing glory to God when we do that? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Self-control. Galatians 5.23, that's one of the fruit of the Spirit. So when something doesn't go the way that we hoped or that we have liked to, we need to glorify God by maintaining our self-control or modeling self-sacrifice. Philippians 2.3-8 Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Let our attitude be like that of Christ. Humble ourselves. Christ came here to serve. We read through God's Word. We'll never, we'll never see any athletic gifting, personal stats, championship games, trophies, anything like that. Instead, we see things like humility and honor and self-discipline and self-control and self-sacrifice imitating Christ. As parents, we must be particularly intentional with our kids. 
we think, of course, you know, we get into the habit of, yeah, I've fulfilled my duty as a, as a parent. You know, I've, I've, I've come to their games and I've cheered for them. That's all I need to do. That's the easiest thing to do. There's so much more than, you know, we're called to, to lead them and to teach them wisely. Maybe that looks like preparing our children to keep, a biblical, keep the biblical priorities in mind while they're playing the game and after the game. Maybe encouraging uh, their expressions of godly character more than we celebrate their skill or the final score. Every moment we have with our kids is a teaching moment, and we need to make sure that we're taking advantage of those things, those times. If we're not careful as parents, we're going to stand before God. They'll have all their trophies. They'll have all their achievements. They'll have all their stats, and then they'll burn up. Because we as parents have not done the duty that we need to do to teach them that all their satisfaction, all their pride, and all their identity is in God and God alone. So in our life, in our children's life, we need to prioritize what matters in eternity over what seems to matter here on earth. So if there's any hint of idolatry in sports or anything else in our lives, anything, God invites us to repent of idolatry this morning. We need to examine our hearts this morning and in days to come. And do we love God with all of our heart? Maybe there's one here this morning who needs to be baptized for the remission of their sins this morning. Maybe there's one who loves God with all their heart but hasn't taken that final step. You know, the, the invitation is always out there for, for us to, to become a Christian, to believe that Jesus is who he is to repent of our former ways, to confess the name of Christ, that he is the Son of God, and be baptized for the remission of our sins. We had Brother Gene just get baptized here Wednesday night last week. It was a beautiful moment. And, and you could see the happiness on his face that he was now a newborn Christian in Christ. It was beautiful, really awesome moment. We can do that again today. If there's someone here who needs to just make a public confession in any way or just needs the prayers of the church, we ask you to come while we stand and while we see. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.